Welcome to the Listening Party podcast for June 12th. I'm your host, Rebecca Haas, the Director of Community Engagement for Pacific Opera. The Listening Party is a time when we get together with friends, share music and stories from the world of opera, music, and theatre. This week's episode is a second installment. Last week, we met several staff members and learned about their favourite music, what they love about working at the opera company, and how they coped with the lockdown for the last three months. Nicole, our Director of Marketing, shared the story of how Wagner's Flying Dutchman showed her it was time to get married. We learned that Yvette, our Director of Development, is a roller derby coach, and that if you have children in your life, our box office manager, Amy, throws great princess parties. This week on the podcast, you'll hear more great musical stories and learn a few more fun facts about the opera staff here. We closed our office on March 18th due to COVID-19 and reopened it for staff on June 1st. But these interviews that you'll hear today took place in the last two weeks of May before we returned to the office. So these were all virtual meetings. On Zoom, actually. All but for one, which took place on the phone. That person recorded their side of the conversation and I recorded my side of the conversation. (laughs) Talk about some retro technology these days. In our conversations, I asked my colleagues to share their favorite music. Music that they turned to in tough times, music that has stood out in their memories. And then we talked about what we missed most during the shutdown and how we were filling those extra hours at home, although I don't think any of us took up sourdough baking. As always, there's a Spotify playlist to go with this episode, and it's full of great opera and much more. I hope you'll take the time to find some new music and artists that you'd like to hear more of. If you're new to the podcast, I suggest you listen all the way through and then follow up with the Listening Party playlist by using the Spotify link provided on our webpage. Each week, my guests curate a special playlist that includes music we discuss in the podcast and more. If you want to dig deeper into their choices, you can read the liner notes that accompany each episode. This week on the podcast, you'll hear from five of our staff, including myself. I'm going to take the spot at the very end. Last week, I kicked it off with Amy, a voice you hear on our phone lines if you call for tickets. This is the other voice you will often hear if you phone the opera. I am Kristen Iverson. I'm the Patron Services Associate at Pacific Opera Victoria. I came to arts administration by way of theater school and stage management specifically. My first question for you is, what is the best part of working for an opera company? The best part of working for an opera company is definitely the operas, getting to attend opening night and sometimes closing and getting to listen to the rehearsals through the floorboards during the workday. Kristen is passionate about theatre in town. I can't tell you how many times I've been out for a show at a local company, and there she is volunteering in some way. In early March, Kristen was in the thick of long nights using another of her skills. She was working as a stage manager, doing something else she loves, supporting youth and their passion for the arts. Yeah, I I was in a very fortunate position. I work regularly with the St. Michael's University School Drama Department, and I've been stage managing their spring musical for the last four years. And this year, our closing night was on March 7th. And I might need to fact check this, but I think we were the last production to open and close as originally scheduled at the McPherson Playhouse. 
because we got closed just in time for that announcement, banning gatherings over 250. So I was able to stage manage Newsies with the talented young students at St. Michael's University School. Kristen was a bit nervous about taking part in this podcast, but she didn't need to be. She was the best guest because she has so much passion for theatre and music. I asked her, out of all the music you've been part of on stage, in the audience, what piece has really stayed with you over the years? The story that anybody who knows me has heard how I got into theatre, which was a production of Lab OM in February of 2003. I was fortunate and I got to see the Baz Luhrmann, Catherine Martin production on Broadway. And so Baz Luhrmann and Catherine Martin, having just done Moulin Rouge, they brought that sensibility and that dramatism and flair to a Lab OM that they set in 1957. With really good looking singers. With unbelievably good looking singers. Um, Because they were doing eight shows a week, they did have three sets of casts that rotated in and out. So that was kind of interesting too. I wasn't sure who I was going to see on the day that I went. Um, But it was my first opera. I was 15 years old. I was in the second row, the center. And I just remember the explosion of music when they came out for that opening number. And I was 10 feet, 15 feet from the stage. And I remember. The performer playing Marcello looked out at the audience, and I swear to God, our eyes met. And my 15-year-old brain went, real people are on stage. That means real people are backstage. That means this is something I can do. And so I was 15 years old when that happened. Um, And I remember going through La Boheme. I hadn't seen it. I hadn't heard it. It was all brand new to me. And of course, the duet, which I never am going to say correctly because it's in Italian. But uh, Oh Suave Fanchula. Oh Suave Fanchula. Not bad. That's pretty good. That's it. An attempt was made. Um, but that song just, I had never heard anything like it. And the beauty of it, and it just transported me somewhere different. Um, and then 15 years later, I saw La Boheme at the Royal Theatre by Pacific Opera Victoria. I was 30 and in the balcony with a glass of wine in my hand. So a very also different for yeah. a different reason and the full spectrum of experience um so that was very cool to get to experience it again knowing how it would end knowing the music very very well by this point still sobbed still loved it still impacted me when I was in the upper balcony of the royal the same way that seeing from the second row on the main floor did I love how she talked about this Her memory of Marcello makes me feel like she was at a rock concert. Kristen's second music memory moves from watching in the audience to her work behind the scenes. I do have a second story. Uh, So just like Bohem was my first opportunity to see an opera, my first opportunity to work on an opera was with Pacific Opera Victoria, was Marriage of Figaro. It was April of 2014. It was right out of school. In fact, I missed a rehearsal to write a final exam for my history of opera class. So there I was an apprentice stage manager, which is how you get your start if you're going to be a stage manager. And one of the very early days of rehearsal, we were working on act three, Dove Sono. And it was incredibly simple blocking. She was sitting on a couch, downstage left, probably five feet from where I was sitting at the stage management table. And Leslie Ann Bradley's voice 
just transfixed me. And I am sure I was supposed to be doing something. I was probably supposed to be taking notes or getting something for someone. But as soon as she started to sing, I just couldn't do anything else. And all I could do was watch and listen to her. Yeah. And Marriage of Figaro was my first foray into how different opera is from straight plays and even how different it is from musical theater. And it's just a, such a different world, the way that stage management interacts with the director, interacts with the conductor. And doing those rehearsals, it's just a voice and a piano. And there's no sweeping orchestra and there's no strings. It's in a case like that, it's one voice and one piano. And I just couldn't believe the way that it filled up the room. And it wasn't until we'd gotten through tech week and gotten to opening, I understood that these stunning voices I was hearing in rehearsal, they were only marking. They weren't even doing a full version. And I was, I was blown away by that. The difference that it's just going through the paces and getting the song right to get the blocking and to interact with each other and with the furniture. But you get to opening night, you add the music, you add everybody, you add the chorus, you add like full power to get to the back of the balcony in the Royal. And I just... I was, I was blown away by the version that was not the real performance. So I'm going to ask you to uh, tell people what marking is, because it's an operatic term that not everyone will know what it means, but you've experienced it. So what would you say marking is? So Martin, I am not a singer, so I don't know what technically it means and what the difference is, but I know it's not going full out. It's not the volume and it's not the difficulty of the notes. It's singing the song gentler for lack of a better term it's kind of taking it easy on your vocal cords um, just not doing a performance worthy song I have to tell you that I really like Kristen's definition of marking being an opera singer is like being an Olympic athlete the voice is a muscle and it has limits of use so especially when a singer is having to learn the stage movements and there's so much new information to process in rehearsal, including the conductor. Sometimes a singer will save their voice and they will mark their vocal part, which is we would consider singing in half voice. You might think about a head voice if you're a choir singer, or sometimes an opera singer will sing their part an octave lower. It's just so that they can work on the things they need to do in the moment and leave the voice out of it. It's too many balls to juggle all at one time. Once they have all the information in their body about their movement on stage and looking at the conductor, then a singer will sometimes come back to that scene after the third or fourth go at it and sing full voice and include full movement. It takes an awful lot of this repetition to make it look natural. Anyway, enough singer talk. Back to Kristen. I asked her how she's getting through the pandemic isolation. Two words, show tunes. I'm getting through it by listening to a lot of cast recordings and singing along. Uh, and for someone who works in the arts and has worked in the arts for about 15 years now, I am horrifically tone deaf. It's vaguely insulting to the conductors that I work with. I am horrifically tone deaf and I know I can't sing. So being alone in my apartment all day, singing along with cast recordings from Broadway shows is what's getting me through. I'm wondering how many of you listening are nodding your head in agreement about singing alone in your house and having a ball doing it. Singing is such medicine for our heart and mind. We're leaving the front desk now, and we're heading into the office, into the corner on our right, 
near the photocopier. Oh, the glamour. It's the office of the man who gave me my job at the opera a few years ago. My name's Ian, and I'm the CEO at Pacific Opera. All right, Ian. So you, like many people I've already spoken to from our office, uh, this was not the job you, you know, sort of arrived at through the front door one day. You've actually had um, a bit of a path and a long relationship with the company. Do you want to give us a little bit of a, an idea of how you ended up here, the short version? Well, sure. I mean, the short version is, is I trained as a designer, a stage designer for theater and dance and opera. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be, uh, for several years, a product of the Banff Center, which, uh, which had an, a robust uh, opera program and an opportunity at a very, very young age, right at a high school, in fact, to work on major, major opera productions uh, that have uh, uh, toured all around North America for the 30 plus decades since and uh, and work on a on a on a production of Vatsak in my first year out of high school I mean so this opportunity to be introduced to opera not just uh, Figaro and uh, and uh, and other classic works but to be introduced to contemporary opera right out of the gate um, was really really meaningful for me it's fascinating to me how many of the folks who work at the opera came to it through story through theater visual elements the power of the opera is truly the marriage of music, text, movement, and a full theatrical experience. It's what allows opera to tell such large, grand-scale stories. As a representative at many public gatherings, I thought Ian might be a good person to ask one of my very favorite questions. What's the most common question he gets asked when people find out where he works? No, they never ask. They always assume that you're a singer. Yeah. Yeah, that you have a musical background. I have no no formal musical training. I've I've come to opera through the visual arts, through design, and uh, and through just a familial love of the art form. My family, uh, uh, we, I grew up in Toronto, and so we were subscribers to the Kenny Opera Company and the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, but also to um, every single dance company, the, the National Ballet, and all the small theater companies, Tarragon and Factory, as well as the Shaw and Stratford Festival. So I grew up with the performing arts. So opera is part of a continuum for me. It's not, uh, it's not a distinct art form um, in my, I don't have a preference for this art form over another. For me, it's part of a, a global love of the performing arts. The pandemic created a seismic shift in all our lives. What's the silver lining of the pandemic for Ian? In a word, it's family were forced, like when they were children, uh, for all five of us to be home all day, all evening. And we have to make a life out of that, right? And I actually am loving every minute of it. So we have a newfound uh, tradition of, uh, of uh, dinners as a family, which we haven't had in years, you know, because they're just busy, active kids with jobs and girlfriends and boyfriends and Oliver off uh, studying elsewhere and everything else. So now... We gather as a family several times a day. We play ping pong. We make dinner together. We're a family. I love that we're a family again. Well, why don't you share with me one or two of your favorite operatic moments? You have obviously much to draw on. I'm very curious what you're going to choose as memorable moments. Well, I, uh, I, uh, I would suggest that for me, I came to operatic moments to my favorite opera composers actually through their their compositions for uh, for uh, uh, 
orchestra for symphony. And so, um, you know, I first was introduced to, to Stravinsky uh, and I'm in love with the 20th century works, right? I was first introduced to Stravinsky through those string quartets and, uh, and through that dialogue of four instruments in, in that, that, that frenetic dialogue full of drama and full of, I don't know, storytelling. And then I had the opportunity as, a, as a, an audio engineer to work, in fact, with, with a director who we work with at Pacific Opera now, uh, Morris Panitch, who in the day was uh, working a lot with Shostakovich in his theater pieces. And in fact, he wrote a number of his most accomplished plays um, with Shostakovich in the background. And so, uh, so I had this opportunity on a number of theater productions uh, uh, to work with Morris and really use the Shostakovich string quartets as a, as a, a narrator in, uh, in a theater environment. So I, I got this opportunity to kind of become really, really familiar with the music. And then of course, fell in love with the opera, <laughs> right? Because you just have this, uh, this, this artist who, uh, who uh, has created remarkable work for the 20th century and so little opera <laughs> that, you know, you just kind of fell in love with this artist. We, we come to opera um, through so many different places. And for, for many of us, it's, it's not even because of an introduction to opera. It's, it's, a, it's a culmination of forces. It's, I've always loved the theater. I've always loved story. That's always been a passion for me. And so opera is a natural um, progression of those things. But then musically, it was 20th century compositions that got me really excited about what opera was as a piece of theater and introduced me to those 20th century composers that uh, really spoke to my um, aesthetic. Fact, you know, my love of, of Mozart, frankly, came later. Came later than my love of Shostakovich and my love of Stravinsky and my, and my love of Philip Glass, right? Philip Glass, Stravinsky, Shostakovich, and then later Mozart and Puccini. It's a long way from where he started with Gilbert and Sullivan and the Mikado as a teenager at the O'Keefe. You know, often when we want to bring someone to an opera, and it's their first time, we do think about the classics, Mozart's Marriage of Figaro or Puccini's La Boheme. But why not a contemporary piece? I wonder why we assume that the tonality of the 18th and 19th century is somehow more appealing for someone than what was written in 1970. It's time to head across the office floor and meet the person who makes sure all the bills get paid for this grand art form. I'm Marilyn Walker, and I'm Director of Finance at Pacific Opera. Besides working at the opera, I've also worked at the Conservatory of Music and um, worked at the Y for a couple of years, um, worked at the Cridge Centre for the Family, so a lot of nonprofit experience and um, a lot of good um family type feels where I've worked where everyone kind of gets along and and um, it's a it's an enjoyable experience we have three grown-up kids um, they all have different careers uh, one has a video production company uh, one is a red seal chef and the other one has trained for a nurse but had a baby just right after she'd finished training so actually hasn't worked as a nurse quite yet but uh, they're all they're all doing well. That's a really great mix of things. I kind of I love that. <laughs> yeah, especially the chef in the family. Who would say no to that? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, it's come in handy during these days where we've had to be home. Um, she's done some cooking for us, so that's great. That's really nice. And and you have a nurse if you needed one, so I think you're pretty well outfitted. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and we also have a, a brand new, not a brand new anymore, but a granddaughter that was born last June. So um, we've had lots of fun with her in the past year. In the first little while, we didn't see each other at all. And then and now as the weather's been getting better, we've been able to be out in our backyard um, visiting. And then we've done some, you know, FaceTime and things like that too. Um, but it's not quite the same. We can't hug quite as much. Marilyn may feel that she isn't as big an opera fan as others in the office, but when I asked her for a musical choice, she's the one on the right road because she loves tenors. I don't think I have one one piece. Um, I really like the Canadian tenors, and this past Mother's Day they did a mother's um, song that I quite enjoyed. So no particular one thing and really no opera I don't really have a good memory for opera. I'd have to say I have better memory for numbers. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe she remembers numbers, but she does have a new art hobby. Although my my daughter did buy me for Mother's Day um, some rocks and a painted rock. So so I want to try painting rocks. (laughs) So um, she gave me a few rocks. One of them's heart shaped and um, one of them was already painted. So I might look at doing something like that as a new hobby. We're going to move you out in numbers into art, you see? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, my name's Noelle, and um, I work uh, as a development coordinator for Pacific Opera Victoria. And um, I basically um, manage uh, all of the events uh, for donors uh, at the opera and um, do work related to development, um, sometimes uh, campaign planning, sometimes outreach. And uh, I work closely with all of our volunteers. For those of you who are sick of Zoom calls, you might enjoy knowing that I spoke to Noelle on the phone. She recorded her side of the conversation and sent it to me. So you won't hear my voice in the interview, but sometimes, if you listen carefully or you have your headphones on, you can hear my voice on the phone. Noelle is a newer member of our team and works part-time with us. She comes from a career spent managing everything from city festivals to business events, even running a conference centre. She has always loved the arts, with a special love for visual arts. So this role was a perfect fit for her. I asked Noelle, what might surprise people to learn about her? Um, what might surprise people? Um, well, something I used to do was is paraglide. (laughs) Um, but haven't done that for very many years, but most people find that kind of a surprising pastime. Now, I haven't done it for years, but that's an unusual hobby to have had. My husband was doing it, and I thought, well, (laughs) I might as well see how that goes. (laughs) When I asked Noelle about it, she confirmed that what she was doing is the kind of thing many of us here in Victoria will have seen down on Dallas Road. The kite like a sail, floating over the cliffs, Although she told me she doesn't have the hours in place to do it there, so it makes me think it's sort of complicated, like flying a plane. But that was the kind of thing she was doing. I have to tell you, I've always looked at that and thought it would be amazing. During the pandemic, her life was not that exciting. She's been enjoying being home with her Portuguese water dog, who continually brings her toys and wants to play. And she lives with her husband and three teenage sons as well. I thought maybe that explains why she loves event planning. She obviously has a busy home life too. I would find her job overwhelming. 
kind of like juggling. You know, there's always something going on in my brain. Um, I know that this has to be done and that has to be done and that there's a connection between the two of them. So it's kind of like um, um, a little crazy making on the busy days when an offer is opening. Kind of exciting. Um, the One of the great parts about doing it for Pacific Opera is that every opera is so different. And so, you know, it's never the same thing over and over again. Um, it's always changed up and uh, there's always different artists and there's always different repertoire. Um, so I find that really uh, kind of energizing. Both Amy and Ian said that everyone assumes you're a singer if you work at the opera. I asked Noelle, do you sing? I'm reluctant to call myself a singer. Um, I am a singer, um, but I am an amateur singer, a hobby singer. Um, but I love singing, and um, my whole life uh, I have wanted to sing, and um, I didn't really have an opportunity growing up. And um, as a young adult, I also um, probably felt too um, self-conscious to really pursue it. It's kind of been something I've put a lot of effort into the last couple of years, and I am gaining confidence. And one of the great things about it is um, being able to kind of finally get in touch with the voice that I've always wanted to hear. I've always aspired to sing, even if it was just for myself. And um, getting the confidence to do that has been a really nice journey. I will tell you a funny anecdote. Um, my first few days in the opera office, I turned to my colleague, uh, Steve, and said, wow, I love that you pipe opera music in through the PA. And Steve looked at me and said, that's the artist rehearsing upstairs. <laughs> I thought, wow. Before joining Pacific Opera, Noelle shared with me that she hadn't had a lot of exposure to opera, but then she came to our season opener last fall, Il Tritico. The middle opera, Soir Angelica, has stayed with her. Yes, the singing was sublime, but if you remember, she told us that opera really strikes her visually mostly. Here's Noelle. The lighting was absolutely outstanding. And um, just the way that they changed the mood on stage uh, to correspond so beautifully with the singing, um, it's just stayed in my mind forever. And it's one I could watch again and again. When I hear her say again and again and again, I know she's been bitten by the opera bug. That's why all of us seek out so many different productions of the same show. Once you see one magical production, you become very curious how another artist will interpret it. How will they sing it? How will they stage it? The visual component stays with her for a long time and with all of us. Her second memory is actually about an orchestral piece, which also had a very strong visual component. About 20 years ago, I was uh, invited to the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, and they were presenting... Um, a slideshow to Appalachian Spring concert suite um, composed by Aaron Copeland. And um, basically they played through the whole thing um, with a fantastic slideshow by an, a photographer. And um, drawn as I am to visual images, um, it was just an outstanding uh, performance. And I wish that I could have a recording of it. I would have watched it many, many times. And basically that photographer took us through the Appalachian Mountains. Um, and all of the, you know, photographs of people's backyard with laundry on the line and mountains and trails and cows and fields and people running, you know, uh, it, it was just a stunning 
compilation of images set to that music. And so that remains kind of my go-to comfort classic is Appalachian Spring. At some point while I was working on the podcast, I came to realize that the one voice that would be missing would be my own. As I work for the opera company and host the podcast, I debated having someone else interview me, but it seemed a little bit arch. So I hope you'll bear with me as I will take a look at the question sheet I used for all the wonderful staff I've spoken to over the last two weeks and been sharing with you, and I'll give you some of my answers. The first question that I often ask is, how did you come to opera? Knowing that not everyone in the office came from an opera background. And in fairness, perhaps you are not acquainted with my career before I worked for Pacific Opera as the Director of Community Engagement, and I've spent the bulk of my career as a freelance opera singer. I started singing professionally when I was 22, and I went on to enjoy a really wonderful freelance career uh, all across Canada and a little bit into the United States. I was very lucky because I got to do what I love to do with my life. As a mezzo, uh, I've always had a deep passion for Verdi. I'm a big fan of Wagner. I love good storytelling, thus the podcast. I came to classical music, sort of a silly story, but when I was about 16, we would live at our cottage every summer. And once a week, we would go to Sudbury to buy our groceries. And in a mall there, there was a record store. And this was a summer when I really had decided it was time I learned a few things that would be really good for me. One of them was to understand the stock market. So I began to buy the Globe and Mail every day at my little job I had at a local trading post. And the other thing I did was to decide I wanted to learn about classical music. And I'll never forget the very first record I bought at this little tiny hole-in-the-wall store in a mall in Sudbury was the greatest hits of... I think it was 1726 or 1766, but it was an album of Baroque hits, which is a really beautiful access point if you have not listened to a lot of classical music, as I had not. I grew up listening to Dolly Parton, the Everly Brothers, the Beatles, Gordon Lightfoot. My house was folk, bluegrass, and a little bit of pop rock. So that was my start into classical music. A favorite musical memory is something I've asked everyone for. And I know that Die Valkyrie here is on hold because of COVID-19, but I am going to share a Wagner story. When I was, when I was a youngish singer in my early 30s, I sang my first Wagner opera with Calgary Opera. It was Der Fliegende Hollander, which we've performed here, and actually I sang the same role here, and it was about 25 years after the first time. That was the first time I'd ever been involved in a Wagnerian opera, And it resonated so deeply with me, I think, because I love storytelling. Uh, I also, I love the singers I worked with on that show. Um, Wagnerian singers are different than Italian singers, Italian opera singers. It's a different craft. It's a different mindset. And I won't dig into it here. There really isn't time. Another time I'll talk about it. But that was an extraordinary cast of incredibly passionate, bright, well-thought-out people, and I found the whole production so rewarding, I started to have a real curiosity about other Wagnerian operas. It was at this time that I was living in New York City as a young singer, trying to build an international career, and I went to the Metropolitan often 
and I had the opportunity. I was studying with the same teacher who taught Ben Hepner, a very famous Canadian tenor who was a famous Wagnerian tenor. I was given the opportunity to go to see Der Meistersinger. Now, for those of you who are not well acquainted with Wagner, that is a comedy. It's a Wagnerian comedy as such. I just wanted to go and see another Wagnerian opera I had never seen. What I remember so clearly about Der Meistersinger is when I read ahead before I went to see the opera what the plot was, and the whole premise is a prize-winning song, that the main character, to win a girl, has to come up with the most beautiful song. And I thought, how vain is Wagner to declare off the top that there's a song competition and the winner's going to write the most beautiful song, the prize-winning song, so that my expectation is so high, it breaks every rule of theatre. I'm just going to sit there and go, well, yeah, show me your most beautiful song. I'll let you know if I think it is. I just thought that was the most pompous thing. And of course, though, secretly, I want him to succeed. I want him to write the most beautiful song. But I can't imagine that now that he's told me it will be the most beautiful song, that I will think it is the most beautiful song. At any rate, as the opera progresses, we start to have the main character discover snippets of this song. And it is the most beautiful song. I couldn't believe that he delivered on that promise. And what's funny is you sort of go through the procedure with the main character as he discovers the song and tries to figure it out. And it's also, I I know it's very difficult to sing. As a singer, I completely know where it's sitting in the tenor voice. I know how hard it is. And I can't believe how many times the the singer has to sing that aria, which I know is so hard. I kind of sort of inwardly sort of cross my fingers for the tenor every time he comes back around to that high note. But Ben Hepner in his prime, it was magical. It was an out-of-body experience. It was the most beautiful thing to sit in the theatre. I mean, that's for me is the wash of sound of voice and music. It was gorgeous. And I still will cry whenever I hear that song. I'm just taken back to sitting in that theatre and having all of that wash over me all at once. It's like head and heart all at the same time. The other part of that show that I loved was the finale to one of the acts where we have one voice that opens it and then eventually all the chorus comes out. It turns into a brawl and then it ends with one voice as the night becomes calm again. The night watchman comes through. And I remember sitting in the house for that as well and thinking this is like a Christmas present that has has layer after layer after layer after layer of paper building up all this anticipation and then again Once again, it's like the most beautiful gift inside. (sighs) Anyway, I could wax on and on about a number of my experiences in the theater and different Wagnerian operas, but that one remains a real favorite because I went in with uh, such a crazy expectation and he delivered so fully. um, I've just never forgotten it. It's very special to me. As I shared at the beginning of this podcast, The office opened up again on June 1st, and so I am back in the office now. I think when I wasn't at the office, I missed the interaction. Many people have talked about that. But the gift that I received was pretty large. Um, A real chance to stop. The whole world stopped, and suddenly I had a chance to stop and think about 
what I create in programming, what I'm filling my personal time with, uh, to reconnect with my family. It's given me a bigger global view because it was everyone. Everyone stopped. Everyone was suffering. Everyone was feeling loss. You know, we've talked about how much we miss being in the theater. And the theater is this really interesting experience where we all go in and we don't talk to each other during the show, but we have a group experience of something that we can we can share. And there's an energy about sharing this experience in this big, dark room. And in some ways, I'm beginning to think that's what COVID-19 and the shutdown during the pandemic was. It was, it's Shakespeare's, all the world is a stage. The whole world was the auditorium. And we were all in there together having this same experience and feeling all these things. And I guess now that we're back into the world in some ways, here in British Columbia, we're in phase two and we're in the world again. Uh, right now I'm having the moment of post-show. It's starting to meet people and friends and colleagues and having a drink and asking what you thought about the last three months. <laughs> Reviewing the show we just all lived. I'm very grateful that the podcast was born out of this moment. I'm so happy to share stories with those of you who listen to this. I'm looking forward to telling different stories and connecting with a wide variety of people in my industry and really getting a chance to share the beautiful people that are impacted by opera, that are creating opera, that are performing opera, and discovering how this art form is universal for all of us that's what the Spotify playlist is about. That's what about the listening party is about. That's what sharing stories is about. And I look forward to sharing so many more stories with all of you in this very special, intimate way known as the podcast. That's our show for this week. Thank you for listening and taking time to hear our stories and get to know some of our staff better. Until we meet again. I'm Rebecca Haas for Pacific Opera Victoria.